0: On Valentine's Day, 1945, James Walton, a farmer, left his home in the small English village of Lower Quinton in Warwickshire. Hours later, Walton would be found gruesomely murdered where he had gone to work that day. Happy New Year! <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, just a normal day in the in the in work for us. Well, I always have to come in after the cold open, and I never know how to come in like to come in solemn like. Oh, that's all. That is an awful, awful thing we've just spoke about. I mean, like, it is awful. It is, but how do I come in after the cold opened, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, Yeah, like, you I'm, do have a tough job there. I, I, so I feel like I always just go over the top to break break the silence. Yeah. However, it is a new year, 2021.
0: Welcome, Danny. Welcome, Dean. It's officially our new, like, sort of, well, not new set up, but, like, new, new, year, new us. format. Yeah, new It's what we're doing, yeah so if you didn't um know on christmas over like christmas we sort of said didn't we like basically this is the new format so as of now Every Monday, you're going to be getting, like, cases, like, true crime cases. A lot of them will be in, like, a normal sort of old-fashioned style of us doing, like, a murder case or something like that. But we will be throwing in, like, just, like, um, a conspiracy case yes. or, you know, like, something like that. You know, it won't always just be strictly true crime. Um, it might be, like, other stuff as well. Um, we've got a few things planned. And then our Freaky Fridays are moving to just like one big long episode on the last friday of every month yes. as well so we won't be doing little weekly ones anymore we'll just be doing one big one at the end of the month and that's basically just so it's it. i think it'll make the content a bit better because we'll be talking about multiple topics and things like that and we'll just have more time to devote to it really yeah
1: and we want it we really want to record on record we really want to focus on our content this year and making it sound the best as we can so by refining what we do we're hoping it will be better
0: yes exactly so we're just changing it up and you can let us know obviously comment like subscribe all that sort of stuff
1: or rate us five stars if you listen on itunes and please please, because I really want to get that up past three. Like, it's a bit depressing. Give us a five-star rating. You can write us a little message if you want. I'd really appreciate that. On Valentine's Day of
0: 1945, then, Charles Walton, who was a farmer, like I previously said, was just going about his routine day. So he had his pitchfork, a billhook, um and took his lunch with him and just left for work and set about his normal day. Um, he was quite old. He was 74, so he wasn't really working um, on like the same sort of farming activities he had been in his youth he was actually working for a family now at the fairs farm for someone called alfred potter and he headed through his local churchyard um to cut through the back um of this hill ground and this was called me hill and that's going to be really important later on and this was at 9am he set off for work and um, first i'd just like to say he's a 74 year old man still working
1: Yes, that's girl. You, well either. done for him. Although well done for him. That's because of poor pensions and people shouldn't have to work.
0: Well, yeah, back in nineteen forty-five. This is like almost pre-NHS era. so 1945
1: 1946
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, right after the World War Two. Yeah. um Can I interject with something there? Go on. So I subscribe to the theory that Valentine's Day was made by the card companies. It was like Hallmark to sell your shit. So I was like, I thought, oh my god, nineteen forty-five, Valentine's Day. Oh that's did we celebrate Valentine's Day? So I googled it. Oh. Guess when the first Valentine's Day was? Like seventeen hundreds.
0: No. Earlier. Earlier. Like twelve hundreds. Earlier. Earlier. Um like 10,000 BC? No, 496 <laughs> AD. Oh my God, what? that is very early. But I suppose Valentine is a saint, isn't it? It's like Saint Valentine's Day. Well, I
1: can't imagine the Romans going out and being like going to card factory, <laughs> being like, "Excuse me, love, have you got any of them big teddy bears holding my heart?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just
0: buying like crap, bloody <laughs> <laughs> Valentine's Day gifts. Oh. No, I feel like it was probably more of just like god that is crazy people have been celebrating Valentine's Day for that long. That's
1: like mm, 1500 years.
0: Yeah, that's that must be one of the oldest
1: holidays. Sorry to interject.
0: <laughs> so the myths and legends surrounding Meon Hill go back for centuries with the remains of an iron age fort still visible at the summit. One legend claims that the devil himself kicked a boulder from the top of the hill with the intent of destroying the then newly built Evesham Abbey. The locals defeated the devil's plan through the power of prayer and the boulder fell on Cleve Hill outside Cheltenham where it was carved into with a cross and this was to rid it of the devil's touch. Another version of this says that it wasn't a stone at all but a giant clod of earth The Bishop of Worcester saw the act and the cast out of the evil one, the sod falling to the ground and forming Mion Hill itself. Other legends tell of phantom hounds still haunt the knights on the hill, the myths connecting them to Celtic King Arwen, the lord of departed spirits. Arwen, it said, would haunt the souls of the hill, riding a pale horse accompanied by a pack of hounds, all white with blood-red ears. Um, is that not the most craziest thing you ever heard?
1: Blood ready is.
0: No, the whole thing. Like, those, like, myths and legends, I think. Some of England's, like, proper old, you know, like, folk, pagan, all that sort of stuff. Our myths and legends are pretty crazy. So if
1: they were all just high.
0: <laughs> like... Probably. Probably. But all that about, like, the devil and stuff. Like, that. the whole town was like, yeah, we all saw the devil. We all through <laughs> the power of prayer. <laughs> Through the power of prayer, we got rid of him. We did it. We come together. We defeated.
1: But to them, like the devil, what probably would have just been like an old man or a bird. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? A bird. <laughs>
0: but like pushing a boulder down or something like that. That's yeah. what I mean. And like, uh, and even the bishop at the time, he's like encouraging this. He's
1: like, yeah, I saw him as yeah, well. Yeah, because it backs up what he's saying. <laughs> you
0: know what I
1: mean? Of course he's gonna
0: I love it. But yeah, so Meon Hill, basically that that's a bit of backstory about Meon Hill, which is where this is set. Um so basically this village is very like entrenched in old like folklore and myth. And stuff like that, and tales and whatnot, and devils, and devils. And this is like this has been going on for a long, long time. So, the 74 year old Walton had lived in this village his entire life. He was a widower and shared his country cottage with his 33 year old niece Edith, whom he had adopted at the age of three after the death of her mother. She was paid a wage for the upkeep of the house. Despite walking with a stick through arthritis, and now said to be struggling physically. He remained otherwise active into his old age and still helped out in various farms throughout the community. Walton was a bit of a loner, but he was really well-liked in the village and he had a really good um, reputation and had been a noted horse trainer as well. So like, if you needed your horse taming or whatever, you'd take it to him.
1: Uh, but... You need your horse taming?
0: You know who to go to. <laughs> yeah, take it to Walton. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like he was a loner. Like, but I think that's important fact to know in a little bit as well that he was on his own apart from Edith.
1: Okay, I will remember that. Okay. And Edith was so... thirty-three, and she was paid to take care of the house. See, I'm listening.
0: However, despite not being actively disliked, the locals would also speak of strange happenings that surrounded him. So birds would flock to his hand, and he was said to have the ability to tame a dog by his voice alone. Ooh. And obviously, we know, yeah, and obviously we know he could also tame horses. So I think he was just a bit of a Doctor little kind of character. Like he was just good with animals, Can not I... great with people, but great with animals.
1: Can I just take it back there, like? He wasn't actively liked or dis... He wasn't actively disliked. <laughs> what a description. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you like him? Well, I don't actively dislike him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actively dislike the man, okay? That's like what I could
0: say about for like 90% of people I meet. Maybe he was... I a... don't actively dislike them.
1: Yeah, I could 100% use it. I might start using that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think <laughs> this man may be in the Mafia. Uh, I the he- Mafia? Yeah, I heard he tames horses. Mm.
0: Um, Maybe that was it before. Very that. good, very good. Yeah, yeah. Again, if you, I feel like this is the episode we plug probably the most. But if you haven't listened to our Jimmy Hoffer episode, please go and listen to that because all we talk about is just the mafia in it, and it's just oh, it's and fantastic. also, I love
1: it. People don't understand when I, I just randomly slip in a hedge of paint houses into, uh, into conversation these days, and no one ever gets it
0: because they're not mafia dons like me and you.
1: No, they're not we're not exactly. mafia Tons. do not get us started in some no, kind of not, beef Danny. because we're not we not, not my house don't need basically painting.
0: we <laughs> basically i've watched the irishman and then we did a jimmy Hoffer episode that's where our mob involvement ends
1: and i did not watch the irishman and i still you was involved not.
0: Warwickshire is a hotbed of folklore, and some in the village talked of old superstitions, including things like witchcraft and his involvement in local covens. So apparently, you know, there was rumours that he was involved with covens and witchcraft.
1: Did they not have so, more to deal with, like World War Two, than fucking talking about you know, witches?
0: I thought this. I thought 1945. So the war literally just ended just ended everyone's still on rations and they're still going around doing witchcraft and stuff like that but i mean i suppose it probably was quite boring at the time like for people back at home they probably didn't have a lot of people need
1: an enemy don't they like if it's hitler or witches one or the same
0: The majority however believes he merely had the wisdom of age and life of rural experience and so therefore he knew a lot of old ways so basically He's just he's just an, yeah, I think he's just an experienced guy, isn't he? He's seventy four and he's done that his whole life. He's tamed horses and stuff, so he is just
1: probably and good with I, animals. I, I don't imagine that there's a lot of um older men about at this point. Well, yeah, because a lot of people would have gone to war. Yeah, and if you think um World War One killed a lot of people, so Yeah. And then the younger generations went off to World War Two. So they won't I don't imagine. You're the historian of us, but I imagine that <laughs> elderly men at this time will have been less frequent,
0: probably, and also in a small town as well, he probably even less likely.
1: And I don't imagine he went to war. I imagine he probably stayed and farmed.
0: Yeah, probably, and probably even. Um, I don't know if you've seen Dad's Army, but maybe he was on a home guard or something oh, like yes, that. Yes, the home guard. <laughs> like, yes. Um. I so think, maybe I, he was doing like something like if that. If
1: we went to war now. I feel like we would be the home guard.
0: We would definitely be the home guard. Just sat in one of those little pill boxes together, like just having a piss around. Hundred <laughs> I mean, percent. They'd they take two looks at me and you and be like, You guys are not going anywhere. You can stay and be on the home guard. The home guard is basically like what you do for like the kids who are crap of PE. Yeah. Isn't it in school? <laughs> yeah. Basically they'd be like, <laughs>
1: That That's our definition. Oh, my
0: God, that should be in our bio. We were crap at PE in school. The kids that were crap
1: at PE talk about true crime.
0: <laughs> oh. Headed towards the conclusion of the Second World War, many villages and towns around the country found themselves undergoing radical changes to lifestyle and structure, with Lower Quentin being no different. Edith, for example, was employed as a printer's assembler at the Royal Society for Art, Manufactures and Commerce.
1: Yes, sir. The RSA
0: for sure. Yeah, I know. The RSA for sure. Which had relocated to the village, usually being based in the blitzed London. So obviously London's like completely decimated at this time. So lots of businesses that were there are now quickly being moved around the country um so this is where edith gets this new job from edith returned home from work around 6 p.m and found that charles was still absent and bear in mind he's been out since 9 a.m and he's a 74 year old man so that's quite a long time for him to be out at work so immediately she was sort of like hmm, that's what time strange. did she
1: get home
0: she got home at six and he normally would be home from about 4 p.m so she'd probably be straight away, well, he's already two hours late. That's a bit odd. and was a man of habit. So he was quite solitary in his life. And he definitely didn't break routines frequently. Um, he, he wouldn't do things. Like, you know, like if someone had said, oh, would you like to come to the pub after work? Like, he wouldn't have done that because it wasn't his routine. Um, And so therefore, for Edith, the fact that he wasn't there was quite concerning because he was always doing that. And she was actually quoted as saying things like, he was quite friendly with everyone, but, and this is quite sad, no one ever visited him at the house and he didn't go out in the evenings and very seldomly went to the public house, which is the pub. Um, he was very happy and contented with his life, so he was a bit of a homebody, really. Um, so this did alarm Edith like pretty much straight away that he wasn't there.
1: Well, he wasn't actively disliked.
0: Yeah, he wasn't actively disliked and people didn't go around
1: to visit him. <laughs> I don't think people liked him. I think <laughs> I was gonna say I feel like he's a bit of an outcast if I'm being honest. I think I think people are trying to spin this into into like <laughs> yeah. like when people were like, Why why didn't you go around and visit him? Well, um well, you know, um um he wasn't actively disliked. Uh, um... <laughs> he he was like exactly. he was the man, the weird man that lives in the street that kids will not go and knock if the ball goes over the fence. That's yeah probably
0: was. that he does give me those vibes to be honest. And he probably hangs out so, like
1: milk bottles from his tray and CDs from his tree.
0: I also, like, I feel like you're really um, you're Digging you're taking into that. this from from real life yeah. Edith obviously alarmed went to call on her neighbor another farmhand by the name of Harry Beasley Beasley was unaware of where Charles might be, but he agreed to accompany Edith on a search to find him, making their way to the fairs and Alfred Potter's house. Potter also hadn't heard from Charles, last remembering that he had been cutting the hedges at the hill ground, saying, I have to do the milking on Wednesday. I came to the field to cut some hay at 12 o'clock and saw your uncle at his work. And he hadn't seen him since then. So he hadn't seen him since 12 o'clock. He acknowledged that he'd been on his grounds working, but he hadn't seen him since 12. The three of them then made for this last known sighting of Charles around those hedges and soon discovered what had happened to him. They saw that he'd been brutally murdered. So they found him in these hedges. Edith was completely hysterical and overcome with grief for someone who was basically her dad, really, I would assume, because she'd been with him for 30 years.
1: He's dead in the bushes.
0: Yeah, he's dead in the hedges. How did he die? Well, we're going to get into that. So, she began to scream, obviously, on sight as she saw him, and Beasley attempted to calm her down and make sure that she didn't disturb the scene and took her back down the hill. Potter, meanwhile, called out to a passerby, Harry Peachy, Telling the locals to names. go and fetch. I know these <laughs> names, these are proper, these are proper, like out in the sticks names, aren't they? Like, this is it's as if it's a book, you know, like a book, <laughs> like about the country that you read in. It's amazing. I'm getting
1: proper so... old damn dyke vibes.
0: Yeah, so Harry Peachy then went and fetched the police. Um, As Potter stood guard, basically, of the crime scene and made sure no one else, you know, like, saw it. So Charles Walton had been the victim of a really, really terrible attack. And it was really shocking the violence that was used against him and his own tools were actually, like, used against him as well. So obviously he left that day with, like, a pitchfork and things like that. So he'd been severely beaten about the head um, with his own walking stick before his throat was slashed three times with his billhook. Not satisfied, the assailant had stabbed Walton in the chest with his pitchfork and finished by ramming it into his face and pinning him to the ground What? with it. Yeah, so it, it was literally like, you know, like stuck to the ground and locked the handle under a cross member of the hedge. So he was literally like pinned to the ground as much as he possibly could be. The bill hook remained wedged in his throat, and future legends surrounding the case would state that a cross had been cut into the victim's chest. However, that wasn't the case, um, and it doesn't feature in any future autopsies. That was just like an extra sort of like little. You know, like, legend... Village rumour. Village rumour. Yeah, village, a village rumour. It was the yeah. devil
1: himself, and he carved the <laughs> cross into him.
0: That sounds exactly like what, what they said. It was also said that such was the strength of the assailant, it took two police constables to pull up the fork from the ground. I know. Um, however, it was Professor James Webster of the West Midlands Forensic Laboratory... Who would actually remove the makeshift weapon the autopsy would reveal that walton had fought back against his attacker as best as he could his arms showing defensive wounds with a cut to his left hand and bruise into the back of the right hand oh, and bless forearm him. i know it's really it's oh it's an awful attack this one who did it, uh, it
1: hang on is this unsolved well, you always piss me off with been. these unsolved ones <laughs> i need
0: <laughs> hard facts it could be an unsolved mystery. I feel like we know who did it, okay. but it's technically unsolved. It's one of them. Uh, <laughs> so, right. the victim's shirt had also been opened and his trousers had been unfastened with his fly unbuttoned. The possibility exists that Walton may have been attacked while relieving himself. So, people think he'd, like, gone to go have to a a toilet, way. basically. We're in the bushes. Yeah. He'd gone for a quick wee in the hedges. That makes sense. It would Just fail to explain coming. why his shirt was open, though. Um, so while he engaged in labour, February rarely produces hot weather in the United Kingdom. Labour, so as it's... in
1: hard work, not as in giving birth to a child. Yeah, because you <laughs> yeah. said that, and I imagine you giving birth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's it's quite strange that. Um he'd have his shirt undone because February is bloody freezing. Like, there's absolutely no way. Like, he wouldn't get that hot, I don't think, working. Do you think
1: he was getting busy?
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe they did, maybe tried to, maybe they thought about putting a cross in or something. I don't know. Maybe it, I don't know, maybe it ripped open. I'm not sure. But, regardless, it was open when they found him. Whether that was done intentionally or whether it was done earlier, we don't know.
1: Oh! the plot thickens
0: the plot does thicken so first on the scene of the murder was police constable p.c michael james loamsey <laughs> coming in. Here. these
1: names
0: come these names coming a little after 7pm with the detectives from the nearby market town of stratford-upon-avon criminal investigation department arriving later on that night p.c michael loamsey initially believed that the death was to be a case of suicide this perhaps suggested his inexperience of the local constantly i did not understand how he thought that could be a suicide because how could you do that to yourself how could you how could you put a pitchfork into yourself like with such force and be laid down
1: yeah like it doesn't
0: that doesn't make any sense does it and it wasn't even just the pitchfork he'd also been beaten and he'd also had um the bill fork in his throat as well so it's like there's way too much there i don't understand how he thought that was a suicide like that is a very bizarre
1: that is 100% not a suicide like no
0: and no and i'm not a pc and i know
1: that I, I i i don't know if you know this but i am not actually a member of the police or a detective, believe it or not, but I but have I not have got any police training. Can conclude that that was not a suicide, and I do feel had this man wanted to have killed himself, I feel like a man of this experience of farm life will have had better ways to do so.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just a strange.
1: It's just strange. Uh, so it's
0: weird.
1: Coming to the conclude, and tell me if I'm wrong that that I'm ruling that as a this is a murder
0: yeah i would definitely rule this as a murder 100 percent so upon inspecting the body the pc noted that a watch chain was present but the watch was actually missing um so whether that had been stolen or whatever it was later described as a gents plain white metal pocket watch snap case at the back white enamel face with edgar jones Stratford upon even you know like um Scratched upon it, sort of thing, with some English numerals. Oh. Um, valued at about twenty-five shillings. That's about forty quid in today's money. Um, that's so you know, it. it's not, it's not, ma- yeah, it's not majorly expensive, but it's not cheap, cheap either. And it's still like, oh, sentimental props Yes, probably sentimental. And to be fair, that's probably quite expensive for like a farmer, I would imagine. So the watch would be an unlikely prize for a th- for a thief, though. Um, and suspicion turned instead to a maniac or one of the Italian prisoners of war at a nearby camp.
1: Oh. Um
0: which, you know, that yeah, that would make sense to me if they've got a nearby prisoner of war camp. Did we still have Possibly. them? Possibly was the war not over? Did they not release them? It was very close to the end of the war. Yeah. Um, So this was like February, and I'm pretty sure the war ended like a few months after this, but we were very close to the end. So Detective Inspector Toomes began taking statements that night, interviewing Alfred Potter first. The farmer gave the background to to the hiring of Walton and the work he was undertaking at the Hillground, stating that he had been working on the last field that needed attention he would add that he had been in the local pub called the college arms until noon he then proceeded back to his farm and observed charles at work potter observed that walton was almost complete in his task and that it would have only taken him about another half hour to finish to the point where he was in in the day with his tasks and um, placing the attack a little bit afternoon that day of uh, valentine's day because obviously he should have been done not long after so professor webster was the fit was the next to arrive at the village and the body of charles walton was finally removed at 1 a.m which is quite a while isn't it because they found him not long after 6 p.m and it didn't move his body till half one in the morning that's quite a long time to to leave it there
1: yeah it is
0: yeah, that's like, yeah, like, like seven and a half hours. But like. I
1: suppose it's the middle of the war. They probably don't have much resource.
0: Yeah, and it is out in the in the sticks, isn't it? Like out in a village. It's not like it's in a city. Yeah. It was the next day and the chief constable decided the case required a specialist knowledge of the Metropolitan Police. So they, tra- so they thought, mm-hmm. right, we're going to have to get Scotland Yard involved and get them to assist on this case. So they sent off for Scotland Yard to get a chief constable, basically. And this is where um, someone called Robert Fabian comes into the case. Robert Fabian was the Metropolitan Police Detective Superintendent at the time. So they've gone up and they've got, you know, like someone who knows what they're doing, basically. And after Fabian's retirement in 1949, five years on from these events... Fabian would actually become a celebrity like sort of through the this work that he'd done, and this was one of the tales that he sort of would tell and sell in his autobiography and things like that, and really made him like quite popular because he would talk about this account of Charles Walton in particular. Um, and he's got his own theory on it as well. So Fabian arrived in the village on the 16th of February and was accompanied by Detective Sergeant Albert Webb. The duo immediately took command of the case and later the same day, an Italian-speaking detective sergeant arrived by the name of Saunders. Saunders was immediately tasked with making inquiries at the local prisoner of war camp. With Saunders finding that the prisoners were allowed to generally roam freely around the local area. How crazy is that? <laughs> <laughs> they were allowed to just go around like the local area. Imagine just living in this little village and seeing like an Italian prisoner of war. You'd be like, Oh, bon- you're bon- right you Hello. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did not have strict prisoner of war camps, clearly. No, we really
1: didn't, did we? What
0: the actual hell? Like, I couldn't believe that. I was like, are you messing? They were allowed to roam freely around the local area. Um, so, while it might seem unusual to modern sensibilities, this wasn't an uncommon practice at the time, particularly regarding Italian prisoners. On the day of the killing, some of the prisoners had visited Stratford to watch a play, and others had seen a film at the cinema there. That was still going it on the war. They just, just... Yeah, this is during the war, and they're just going about the day. You know, they're... How
1: ridiculous, how absolutely ridiculous. Oh, what are you doing tonight? Oh, um, well, I can either go and watch a play or I can go to cinema.
0: (laughs) Imagine imagine writing home, you're a prisoner of war and you're like, oh yeah, better write home because my wife's probably terrified, you know, I'm a prisoner of war. And, you know, they're just having the life of Larry,
1: you know, just... No,
0: I I I like that, we're
1: nice people, even in war we gave people their liberty. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, it was nice of us, I think it was very nice of us, but... Obviously, it then sort of put them all in the um under this suspicion, if you will, because obviously this guy was was murdered. Well, well yeah. So they would be. So um, Fabian set up a, a HQ, if you like, in Stratford upon Avon and utilised a giant map of the area to track the stated movements of all people who were involved in the case. Aerial photos were then taken by the RAF and used. When an Italian was arrested hiding in a ditch with blood on his hands, he professionally dealt with the suspect. While others might have been prone to write the case off and proclaim the killing of one of these wartime enemies, Fabian quickly dismissed the man as merely a poacher. <laughs> so, obviously, he went and did a bit of more research into like what the blood was on his hands, I'm guessing, and things like that. And he's obviously deduced that he's a poacher. And I think that's quite good, because that would have been really easy to just be like, oh, well, it must have been this Italian prisoner of war.
1: But also, you think, do we have poachers in this country?
0: Yeah, well, I was thinking that. I was like, God, what, why was he poaching? What was he poaching? I don't know. What, the bushes? what was he poaching?
1: The chickens. Yeah. But I suppose people were hungry on rations. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, people used to eat the dogs, didn't they, back in the World War too. Um Danny, we had an uh, agreement. Oh, yeah, not to talk about animals. Yeah, and oh, you've breached the agreement. I'm going to terminate this call now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up,
0: shut up. Um, yeah, that is really sad, but so that's good though that you mentioned that because I suppose he was poaching. Um, because at the time meat was like,
1: yeah, you, not hard to come by. Like,
0: so you poach
1: a cow, your family's eating for a whole year, yeah, you can yeah. Stay. And I suppose the prisoner of wars would have been at the
0: bottom of the list for like meat.
1: Yeah, they, were, they will have been on, like, rice and beans. They will have been on the Am diet. The Celeb diet. <laughs> I'm a yeah, even though they can go to the cinema, but you're not having any meat. Like, you can get lost. Do they get popcorn in the cinema, or is that rationed?
0: I have no idea. I don't know. I don't really know when popcorn was a thing in the cinema.
1: I feel like if they had a cinema, popcorn would have always been a thing.
0: Maybe. I feel like it's an American thing, though.
1: I feel like a cinema is an American thing as well.
0: While there was no record of their movements... Police never took the theory that the Italian was responsible very seriously, and instead, the eyes of Fabian and Webb were drawn to Alfred Potter, so obviously the Uh, person whose farm it belonged to. uh Potter was interviewed for a second time and began to divulge new information that may have shed light on the case, including an indication that he believed that Walton might have been swindling him. The farmer had left it to the honesty of Charles as to how many hours he had actually worked, meaning that he may be paying him for work he had not done. Alfred reiterated that he left the village pub at noon and around 12.20pm had seen Walton while he was on his way back to the farm. Potter said he didn't greet Walton as he had a heifer that required his attention. Suspicion of Potter increased when he was informed by PC Loomsy that the police were hoping to find fingerprints on the billhook. So Potter suddenly remembered that he'd actually touched the handle of the instrument after being told to ensure that Walton was truly deceased by Harry Beasley. Potter's wife was immediately irate, claiming that the police would surely now suspect her new husband. The new suspect also seemed particularly keen to suggest it was one of the Italian prisoners, insisting that it was the work of a fascist from the camp.
1: Mm, them fascists. How,
0: the, them fascists. However, given the nature of the village and the still ongoing war, it might not be unusual to believe that the, that the nearby enemy was responsible. However... Potter seemed overly keen to ensure that his alibi was watertight. Informing Fabian that after returning home, he had re- read a newspaper for just five minutes before getting on with work. His worker, Charles Henry Batchelor, uh, again, I love these wa- these names, Um, he was nicknamed Happy as well. Oh, there's Happy. Which, I know, that is so cute, isn't it? Um, He was happy to confirm that he was doing the <laughs> What? He was happy to convert. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh, that's so Not good, I didn't even notice that. I was, was like, happy yes, to anyway. confirm. <laughs> so happy confirmed
1: what? happy was happy to confirm
0: <laughs> How happy was really happy to confirm <laughs> happy gladly confirmed that he had joined alfred pulping some mangolds before again all this is i have no idea what? what any of these farming things mean i don't know what a farm thing like is, a marigold so I, don't, I don't know so he helped him with the with the pulping anyway and yeah. um, before we know the heading back
1: and the marigolds. <laughs> we we knew the pulp and in. and the the bushing.
0: After he helped with the pulp in, he looked at the church clock by which, um, he knew it was exactly 1 p.m. So I kind of get why the detectives are thinking this is a bit too watertight. Like, why are they specifically, you know, like going past the church clock, you know, to look at the time and you know things like? Because obviously back then, if you didn't have a watch, you You know, I don't think it was likely to have... Like, now, you'd look at the TV and the times on it, or you look at your phone and the times on it. Uh, Back then, obviously, you'd have to, like, really be aware of, you know, like, how you know what the time was, Um, which I guess is why they've gone to look at the church clock.
1: Did did the clock not do the ding-dong, ding-dong, ding? ding?
0: (laughs) The ding-dong, maybe. I don't know. But it is... I I don't know. I get why they're suspicious, because they are trying to make this alibi, like, very very watertight they're like yo no 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 we were here at 1205 and then we were there at 145 and you know it's very To, to be know, fair, though, i kind
1: of get why they're getting, i think i could on. do that quite specifically like i could be like oh yeah yeah i met Danny at like quarter past nine i
0: think i think it's because it was after the fact it's on like his second interview and they've said they're looking for fingerprints uh, so, okay. and then he's got yeah uh, okay. and then he's uh, okay. very like oh I for, I yeah forgot, i forgot so, about that fact yeah. I put my hands up so, L- Lillian Potter also confirmed this account, noting that her husband had inquired about lunch after reading his newspaper and hearing it wouldn't be long back Bachelor for the pulping. Was that
1: Harry Potter's uh, mum? So- <laughs> what? Was Lillian Potter Harry Potter's mum?
0: Yeah. Isn't that weird? I was thinking, oh, Lily Potter. But yeah, just a strange coincidence. Quince- oh,
1: is it? That transphobe, J.K. Rowling, just robbing names from history. Hmm.
0: Maybe. However, the account of Potter only seeing Walton on his way back from the pub before helping to pup the marigolds contradicted his earlier claims. So, you might remember, he told Walton's niece, Edith, before the discovery of the body, that he came to the field to cut some hay at 12 o'clock and saw the <gasps> uncle at work. Uh... So... So, yeah, you can't be in two places mm-hmm. at once. He's either cutting hay at 12 or he's in the pub at 12. You can't be both. Surely you can't they can be in both people in the at pub. Once. Come on,
1: there'd be a pub alibi, wouldn't there?
0: Yeah, come on. So, it also contradicted Potter's initial statement as well about where he was. There's now three stories regarding his whereabouts at the time of the murder. Uh, even if one alibi was being supported by his wife and Libra, but I'm not being funny... His wife is his wife and his labourer is getting paid, you know, like, by him. So, obviously, he's not going to want him to go to prison or anything because he gets paid by this person. Would you
1: give Jack an alibi?
0: Um, probably not for murder.
1: Not for murder, but
0: for anything else. No. Yeah, anything else, sure,
1: whatever, I don't care. But murder's the line.
0: Murder's the line. Especially a gruesome murder like this of, like, an old man. Okay. No, I like that you have morals. <laughs> I do have morals. I do. I do have a couple. Further evidence would begin to stack against Potter and his alibis. So the hefier, which is a cow, obviously, that hasn't had a car. You said obviously um, like you know.
1: <laughs> obviously. Obviously, it hasn't had a car. just Googled it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so basically, a hefier, as Dean has just told me, <laughs> um, is basically is basically a cow that hasn't had a calf which means they're not going to be producing milk out of there so farmers obviously don't really have use for these and so they normally will kill them and eat it yeah well or yeah or eat it i guess so he claimed to have left to attend um to this heifer, um but it was found that instead he'd actually drowned this the di- this heifer, this cow um, the day before the killing. So he was obviously lying about that. He drowned. Um, the and cow. The car... Yeah. That's I know what a weird thing to do. That seems like a long a long that... Yeah, that just seems cruel. That to me, this just stacks him up as a murderer even yeah. more. So the carcass was only removed from the farm on the fourteenth of February. The removal taking place at three thirty PM, hours after Walton had been slain and that what and Um, that Walton had claimed he'd gone to attend to the matter, basically. So, we know that this is a lie now as well. So, for me, it's really looking like it's Alfred. Because there's lots of lies going on, and it's like, why are you lying? You know what I mean? Why are you lying? So, Harry Beasley would also contradict the account of Potter, saying that he said he was sure that Potter can only have concluded that Walton was dead immediately given the state of the corpse. He said that he never told him to check for life, Beasley was adamant that Potter had not touched the murder weapons in his presence. Interestingly, despite Potter admitting that he'd had his hands on the bill hook, no fingerprints were actually found. So, all of that, him getting in a fluster over there being fingerprints and basically kind of like grasping himself up with all these different stories, was for nothing because his fingerprints weren't even found on it. Despite this, Beasley would praise Potter as a decent boss. Others, however, noted that he had occasional difficulties paying the wages of his farmhands. In fact, money seemed to be an overwhelming presence in the case, and Charles Walton's finances being somewhat curious. When Walton's wife had died in 1927, she left him a sum of 297 pounds, which is about 12 grand in modern money, so quite a lot, really, for back then. He placed the money in a building society, yet when the police investigated, they found he only had two pounds of his name, despite working his whole life and being noted for being quite frugal, and that money was never accounted for. So what the hell he spent all that money on, no one actually knows. After Potter raised the subject that Walton may have been working Fewer hours than he was actually paying him, Fabian made sure to check the books. He concluded what Potter was really doing was covering his back, for he'd been indenting more wages to Potter and Co than he was actually paying walton so he was saying like so basically potter was embezzling the difference the for his own wallet <laughs> yeah he's cooking the books exactly investigations spread throughout the village and while fabian would later claim that he'd been met with a wall of silence as he played up the stereotype um, of folk dislike of strangers, basically. So, none of the town would speak to this out of town cop, basically, is what he's saying. And the truth is that the locals were mostly cooperative, but just didn't have much to tell. But he literally said, like in his own um, account in his book, that um, there were lowered eyes and people were really reluctant to talk to him, um, or rather than talk about things like bad crops, um, and that how the heffier had died in a ditch. Well, obviously, it was drowned. I know, Um, he he said things like cottage doors were shut in their faces Um, even the innocent witnesses seemed unable to meet their eyes and soon became ill after we spoke to them so he's kind of really playing up this role of, you know, like strange, you know, like country folk and being very like, oh we're not talking to the police and things like that so he's really saying that, that the town was totally, like, very reluctant to get involved in the in
1: the crime at all. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? You, would, you wouldn't want to get yourself involved when you're not involved. Apart from, well, apart yeah. from us, because we like the goss. We
0: love yeah. the goss. I'd be like, so, what have you found? What about that potter, eh? What about that heffy array? Hey. <laughs> yeah. hey. Don't you think that was a bit strange, drowned in a <laughs> ditch mm, the day before? I'm not a detective, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me and you would be awful in a small-town <laughs> I mean, village. We'd just, we'd just be staring the pot constantly. We'd be like Agatha Raisin. Oh, we really would. It'd be ridiculous. So, around 500 of Lower Quinton's residents were interviewed over the murder, including children. 4,000 statements were taken and samples of hair and clothing from the crime How many statements were sent away for analysis. 4,000. So that means they must have re-interviewed people Every-
1: over and over and over. They're, they're proper putting effort into this, aren't they? Yeah,
0: no wonder. No wonder no one wants to talk to them. They've probably been spoken to about 16 times and like, oh,
1: fuck Listen, off. I told you. I fucking <laughs> told you. <Yeah>. Don't lie. <laughs> <way>. I'm tending <laughs> to my heffier. Exactly. I need to pump the marigolds. <laughs>
0: So, the area was extensively searched, and even the military became involved, and RAF aircraft surveying the fields to take photography, as mentioned earlier. Mine detectors from the Corps of Royal Engineers were also utilised to find Walton's missing watch, which Fabian believed may hold fingerprints of the killer, because obviously they've taken it. The investigation was being taken seriously and professionally, having caused something of a sensation in the press. It was during these subsequent investigations that claims of witchcraft and the supernatural would emerge. It was the
1: devil. The devil, too, yeah.
0: It was the devil. So, DSI Spooner's investigations had led him down the path of a local legend and the discovery of a book called Folklore, Old Customs and Superstitions in Shakespeare Land by J. Har- by J. Harvey Bloom. The book featured a passage which had been underlined. It stated that in 1875, a weak-minded young man killed a woman named Anne Tennant with a hay fork because he believed that she had bewitched him. A second book, Warwickshire by Clive Holland, told of more details on that case. And this was basically, it was kind of similar in the fact that they've been, you know, like stabbed with a pitchfork um, and it's all to do with witchcraft and stuff like that. Um, and it was very again another very gruesome murder and she was old as well she was like an 80 year old woman so it's kind of similar thing that happened but obviously quite a, a gap between the two but this like stood out to detectives basically because it was so similar however the the person that, that did it had been described as simple-minded and that he was drunk basically and uh, when he committed the murder and he did it in front of like two witnesses as well so he wasn't really Uh, very good
1: Um, and he was
0: also yeah he was also like believed to have a mental illness and things like that and he was also part of a local coven himself so it was a very strange one for for that one but basically because that had happened years earlier this sort of gave detectives that but basically made them believe like oh well you know Witchcraft. People. People are paranoid there. Like the Maybe cool been killed draws. by someone. But I think it's because obviously this sort of area in the West Midlands is, you know, like a, kind of like a centre for British pagan folklore. And I think once they'd sort of got that in their heads, I don't think they could get away from it. There were those at Lower Quinton who wondered, who wondered aloud if the Coven of Witches. That were believed to exist um, in Long Compton might in fact be at work in the slaying of Charles Walton. So some said that they were the most ancient coven still surviving in Britain and consisted of three men and four women, a magical seven. The coven allegedly met on Mayon Hill, so obviously that famous place. Did you that say that we've coven? Been about coven,
1: coven. I'd say coven.
0: Coven. Okay, I'll change to coven. No, I'll okay. Do okay. you do. You. I'll do what you want. You be. I'll do what you, you be your authentic you. self. Ah, oh, okay i don't know i've always said coven is it coven i think it's
1: coven 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 i don't know coven i'll say coven um yeah you do what you want so... to do don't let me tell you what to do don't let no straight white man tell you what to do <laughs> anyway the coven allegedly <laughs> met on Meon hill
0: uh, and all that donald mccormick had said that the influence of witches comes and goes like the full moon at both long compton and at lower quinton Yet yeah, McCormick also alleged that Walton had been introduced to witchcraft by a servant girl who'd bewitched cattle by roasting a cow's heart on a fire. Oh. Like Fabian, I know. Like Fabian, he had had an eye for a good story without being necessarily beholden to the truth. His book sold very well again and it only added more to the myth behind the murder of Charles Walton. And there's lo- there was lots, like in the papers, the press really picked up on this and they'd say things like witchcraft murder, you know, like, and think, like, things like that because people really believed in it. So you would? And really thought, well, yeah, people really thought like this was something to do with witchcraft. And there was another really sort of interesting. Interesting point because there was a connection with witches so walton's first cousin um was called john haynes and haynes was married to someone called sarah cook and um, who also had a cousin and um, that was this woman who had been murdered you know like horrifically all them years before their son so there was a slight connection there with the two families and um, which also just fueled these rumors even further and people thought like that that was definitely you know, like, one of the reasons that, you know, he might have been chosen to be killed, because they had this tiny connection, which I think is probably just a coincidence, if I'm being honest. But people obviously have really latched onto that. So, eventually, D.I. Fabian and D.S. Webb would return to London, leaving D.S.I. Spooner to continue investigations in the village, as the trail had gone quite cold at this point. The duo would make one last trip back to Lower Quinton before the end of the case, interviewing Alfred Potter, after Police Constable John West reported that on the morning of the 15th of February, Potter had approached the crime scene soon after first light. The subsequent interview revealed little new information except for the fact that Charles Happy Bachelor, who had helped his alibi, had since left Potter's um, employment alongside another farmhand. So two of his farmhands after this murder had left. And I mean, Mm. I don't know how much to read into that because I feel like I would leave somewhere as well if some if another person doing a similar job to me was murdered there. I feel I'm like, gonna go. Eh yeah but i think i'm gonna go so yeah so i don't know how much to read into that because i would probably leave as well even
1: if it wasn't my boss yeah, Even if it was if just I did suspicion. it i'd probably still go you'd be like
0: yeah definitely bye. i'd be like see ya so according to fabian before he left he took one last trip to the crime scene at Meon hill describing the hill as a bleak and lonely place he encountered a black dog along the path Spotting a boy running down the same way, Fabian tells of how he asked the boy whether he'd lost that dog. When told it was a black hound, the boy ran as fast as he could in the opposite direction. Later that same day, a black dog was found hanging from a tree at the site of Charles Walton's murder. Like much of Fabian's account, it should be taken with a pinch of salt, particularly given the fact that his reports to Scotland Yard make no mention of witchcraft black dogs, pagan rights or any such or any kind of other occurrences so all this stuff was from his book that he released five years uh. later once he'd retired which is where we get all that account from well, however i do think well yeah one he wants to sell a book but if you're playing devil's advocate and going on the other side of it if you're like a well-respected you know like detective you're probably not going to want to be laughed out of you know like your job at such a late stage in the game so even if all this stuff has been happening like strange occurrences like black dogs and whatever you're probably not gonna mention it in the reports i would imagine we
1: should do a freaky friday on animals and supernatural because i've just listened to a scary stories tell the pod an episode about black dogs and like how they're like harbingers of death and they carry people across yeah
0: well that's what i mean like it is quite interesting that you saw a black dog cuz it's definitely um it's i would say it's it's one of those signs isn't it like if you see a black dog it's like black, blah. It's like bad luck or something like that, isn't it? The matter became something of a personal obsession for Spooner long after the world had lost interest and the files had begun to gather dust at the Scotland Yard filing cabinet. He became a familiar face about the village, often arriving unexpectedly in an effort to spook the killer. Spooner was convinced by the ritualistic angle, believing that the answer lay in Lower (laughs) Quinton and that a local man must have been responsible. The DSI would return every year, to climb Meon Hill and walk around the village, hoping to spot some clue that was overlooked during the initial investigation. He would even return after his retirement. In 1960, a new lead would come to light, if anything, only deepen the mystery. During the demolition behind Charles Walton's cottage, a workman discovered Walton's watch in an outhouse. The outhouse had been searched at the time of the murder, meaning that whoever had taken it must have returned it to his home. Again, local legend tells of how Walton would keep a piece of witch's glass in in the case of the watch, using it to deflect evil. Like the legends of the devil and the black dogs and Roman Celtic kings, the case of Charles Walton itself has now been added to the legends and myths surrounding the. Legends and myths that surrounded the case upon its investigation. Truths have become distorted. To some, Walton was a warlock who practised dark art and cast fear over the village, keeping Natterjack toads as familiars and blighting the crops. These claims suggest that a failed harvest in 1944 and the death of, Pot- of Potters Heffier were too much for the village who enacted the ancient rite of blood sacrifice, letting the blood of the witch replenish and cleanse the soil, which is also, well, yeah, which is also a theory, which is to why they think it was like pinned to the ground so that the blood would definitely, you know, like literally get into the ground, literally, which I think is maybe there's something to that. Another claim, by am an Egyptologist, Dr. Margaret Murray. But she's the president for the Folklore Society from 19- 1953 to 1955 was that Walton had been sacrificed as part of a fertility ritual by those still practising paganism. While Murray's work in the fields of Egyptology and archaeology was widely acclaimed, her theories and writing on witchcraft have frequently been rejected or debunked. The sensationalist tales were eaten up by the tabloid press with the claims of still-existing pagan rituals in England's green and pleasant land attracting all manner of the disturbed and the eccentric. Mm -hmm. One such woman claimed that the killing had been a sacrifice carried out by well-known occultists from London and Birmingham. We don't really know what happened to him other than, you know... There was poss- There's a lot of theories going around that it's to do with, you know, these folk in the in the countryside with obviously ties to paganism and stuff like that. But, you know, we'll, it's one of those things like we won't really know for sure. Like, was it the entirety of this village being, you know, like maybe they did do it because they were all like, oh, we've had bad harvests. Obviously, everyone was starving at the time as well because there was rations going on for the world war. Um, so maybe they were desperate enough to try it and do that but I think Potter his employer is definitely suspicious like if I had to put my money on anyone it would be him like that's where I think I think that's where I would be saying like I'm definitely into all like the you know like occultist sort of history and things like that and I know that there were things like that going on and we're gonna maybe look into more like sort of pagany stuff going on around this time as well in world war Two, because there was definitely some strange things going on in england like i don't know if anyone knows about things like who put bella in the whip gel oh yes like that's that, that that so sort of, yeah well that's from the same time as well and not far away Which is I. um and there's there's just lots of there's lots of stuff going on with like pagan r- rituals and stuff like that around that time so i wouldn't totally rule it out it definitely could have been a contributing factor but Potter looks very, very suspicious in my eyes, and if I had to like put my money on to guess who it was, I would say it was him.
1: Um, yeah, I, I would, put, I, yeah, be inclined to a you Not think it was the devil. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think although, it was the devil. Although, <laughs> uh, do you think there's some weight to this prisoner of war thing?
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. There's a few different ones, and they all kind of seem plausible, don't they? So.
1: Yeah, I like no. I yeah, I think it was this prisoner of war thing. Uh, yeah this man does seem a bit skeptical but i also think like these prisoner of war people are are would not be subject to this brutal murder because they've been in war they've seen war they're doing whatever it takes um maybe what like even if the pr- pr- prisoner of wars were nice maybe one of them had had like a moment of like um post-traumatic stress and thought he was in the war maybe like,
0: yeah that could definitely be a possibility you, you couldn't could it?
1: imagine like on a farm like how that could happen do you know what i
0: mean yeah especially because he's got all his tools as well and i suppose maybe if he was relieving himself or something going for a wig obviously all his tools would be close to him mm. but like he wouldn't be holding them and stuff like that so it's um i feel like it's definitely i don't know i feel like it can't be planned because if it was planned why would they do it with his own tools i feel like it was more of like an opportunity killing because obviously they caught him when he was vulnerable and it's with his own tools so it doesn't seem like it was overly planned it seems like it just sort of happened but then i think oh well, maybe he'd been having a discussion with potter about like his payment or something like that and they'd had a disagreement and then like he thought the conversation was over went to have a wait or something like that and then obviously potter was angry and just sort of
1: like, murdered him. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's a strange one. Yeah, no, I think there's a good theories there, but I would, I will, I think this is unsolved. I don't think you can 100% Oh yeah, it's say. definitely,
0: well, yeah, it's definitely officially unsolved because, He never actually closed the case. Still don't know who did it, but I think think it was Potter, personally, myself.
1: Okay, I think it was a prisoner of war.
0: Just because his behaviour was very suspicious. Yeah, that was 100%
1: suspicious.
0: Yeah, like very suspicious. And it was like, he had the opportunity to as well and things like that, you know? So, I think it was him.
1: Yeah, 100%. Presumable. So,
0: thank you for listening to this um, sort of strange episode, well, if you like, like for, for a case file one. Because
1: it brings the true crime and the supernatural together, and that's my favourite. Yeah, it case. does.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I like it. So, I thought this is a good one to sort of kick off the new year and kick off our new sort of it's not a super new setup is it but it's a little bit different so i thought this would be quite a good case to do that with so yeah so thanks for listening to the case of charles walter please let us know what you think as well um comment on our Facebook or Instagram posts things like that, we love to
1: hear from you. we are at Curiously Morbid Pod or at Curiously Morbid Podcast on Instagram Facebook and Twitter you can also get us on TikTok now and don't forget if you've enjoyed this episode you can find us on Patreon, you can start just at the £5 level where you get access to exclusive content, free wallpaper of our cover art and even merchandise, um, merchandise is at all sorts of tiers, you don't have to pay for it extra it just gets included on you been a patreon for three months, it just gets shipped to you and you know the best thing is, Danny, it gets shipped worldwide. It's so good. It's so good. We 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 dealt with the people and we got that shipping worldwide. That's a hard thing to um, do yes. in in a Brexit world. In a Brexit world, yeah, it
0: really is. So yeah, so please go take advantage of that. Join us on the peak. And remember,
1: there is no Freaky Friday this ep- this week because our Freaky Friday is going to be a massive Freaky Friday on the last Friday of every month. But if you are dying for more Curiously Morbid, we have got over 40 past episodes now. Danny, give me a recommendation dead quick.
0: Uh, Off the top of my head, go and listen to Marlene Warren. That's a great case.
1: Oh, yes, that is a good one. What episode number is that, Danny? Come on. That's episode 20. Is it? Yeah. That is a fantastic case. Go and listen to that one. But in the meantime... Stay curious. Stay morbid.
0: This has been an Audio Bear production. Our show tune is Half Mystery by Kevin MacLeod.
1: Yes, McCloud. And thank you very much for Medium.com for letting us use your article under the Fair Use Act. We love it. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Yay!